The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. We are installing uh, Pastor Jonathan as a new associate pastor here at Jacob's Well Church. And so uh, it will look a bit, little bit different. We'll have a shorter sermon today. Uh, no amens, please. We'll have a shorter sermon today. Um, ideally 24 minutes, but it doesn't start till I start. So, um, and then we'll have communion, uh, and then the installation will begin. And there will be some questions for Jonathan, some questions for you, some charges, some prayers, things like that. And we will end with song and benediction as normal. So, if you would, please open up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's page 947 in the Red Bible and page 1126 in the Blue Bible, the large print, and 1231 in the Children's Bible. While you are turning there, I will just share an interesting factoid that has nothing to do uh, with the sermon, but is interesting uh, as we think about installing Pastor Jonathan. So, so I had not met Pastor Jonathan until last year um, that I know of. And currently, Pastor Jonathan and I live 13 miles apart. Growing up, we lived three miles apart, and I had never met him. And so we now live four times further from each other now than we did uh, throughout our elementary and high school career. So just thought that was fascinating, maybe just for me, but there you go. Uh, We're continuing in our Roman study today, uh, but it is extremely fitting for an installation service. So we're just going to cover two verses But they are big verses. Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, there is much to unpack in these short two verses, and we have a short time to do it. And so God, pray by your grace that you would make this word come alive in the way that we respond to the good news of your love for us in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul gives one of the biggest therefores in all of Scripture. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but whenever we see a therefore in the Bible, we need to ask what the therefore is there for. And the reason we have to do this is because everything that comes before the therefore is the reason or the cause or the foundation for everything that comes after the therefore. Let me give you an example for marriage. When I got married, I found out that there were a lot of therefores that came with being a husband, okay? In my 20s, what I learned is I was now a husband, therefore, I should make my side of the bed, right? Um, I was a husband, therefore... I should talk to my wife before inviting 20 people over for a game night, right? I was a husband, therefore I should talk to my wife before I sign up to go on a camping trip with a bunch of my buddies, right? Marriage is a good and wonderful gift from God, but it comes with a bunch of therefores, right? In the same way here in Romans 12, 
Paul gives a therefore, and we have to understand what comes before the therefore to understand the reason for everything that comes after the therefore. It's really a turning point in the book of Romans. Now, sometimes the therefore just refers to the previous few verses, but in this case, it really refers to everything Paul has said so far in Romans. Romans 1 through 11. And so briefly, just want to share, using the Romans road, what has Paul said in Romans 1 through 11? Well, Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It goes on in that chapter to say that all of us are unrighteous, that no one seeks God, that all have turned aside. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That God's just judgment on our sin, on our rebellion against him, is death. Now and for all eternity, spiritually cut off from God. Romans 5.8 says, But God chose his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you, not when you were cleaned up, not, not for a future version of you, but while you were still Sinner, Christ died for you. In the Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What are we saved from? We are saved from the just judgment of God, but we are saved unto the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the joy of God for all eternity. And so this is Paul's foundation. And this is, this is what comes before the therefore. Because you were a sinner, but are now a saint, therefore, this is the way you live. Romans 12 through the end. Because you were once an object of God's wrath, but because now you are an object of his grace and mercy, therefore, this is how you now live. Because you were once dead, but are now alive. Because once you were an orphan, but now you are a child of God. Because all of these things are true of you. Therefore, this is how you shall now live. If getting married should lead us to a whole host of therefores, how much more shall the love of God in Christ change the way we live our lives? Romans 12, 1 through 2 is... It's for Pastor Jonathan. Where are you, Pastor Jonathan? Just so I can see you. Right there. It's for Pastor Jonathan, but it's not just for him. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for elders. It's for all in the church. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. It is for all of us here today. Paul is answering this one question. Enlighten the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God in Christ. How should you now live? What does it look like to live as a Christian? And really, the whole answer is contained in these two verses. And then it's teased out throughout the rest of Romans. Paul's going to tell us what it means to live in light of the mercy of God in two particular ways. In unceasingly sacrificing ourselves to God and in continually being transformed by God. Let's look at the first. Unceasingly sacrifice yourself to God. Verse 1, Paul starts, I appeal. This is a strong statement. He is saying, I exhort you, I beg you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
This illustration of sacrifice is something that the Jews would have been familiar with, as well as many of the Gentiles. You see, the Jews were not the only religion that sacrificed animals to appease their God, to, 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 to make an atonement for their sin. And so sacrifice was an image that all of them were very familiar with. And when they thought of sacrifice, what they thought of was an altar. Not a sanitary altar, but a very dirty, bloody altar filled with clumps of fur and, and flesh. And, and it was a nasty scene of death. This was the picture of sacrifice. It was a picture of death. And yet Paul says here to present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is a contradiction of terms. I know we may be used to this verse. We've probably heard it many times. But could you imagine how puzzled the first readers would have been. They may have responded, Paul, there is no such thing as a living sacrifice because if it is living, it is not sacrificed. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it is dead. But Paul says, not anymore. God no longer requires a blood sacrifice because Jesus was the fulfillment of all blood sacrifices for our sins. Jesus was the final blood sacrifice for sin. Therefore, God no longer requires dead sacrifices, but is calling us to be living sacrifices. Paul calls us. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word body here is to refer to the whole of a person. I know we talk about giving our hearts to Jesus. We call other people to give their hearts to Jesus. And this is right and true and good, but it is not enough. We're not simply called to give our hearts to Jesus. We're called to give our feet to Jesus, our hands to Jesus, our mind to Jesus, our passions to Jesus, our work ethics to Jesus. We're called to give all to Jesus as a living sacrifice. And so this begs the question of all of us. Where do we need to surrender to Jesus? What areas of your life have you maybe boxed Jesus out of or held him at arm's length? Is it your finances? Is it your thought life? Is it your Tuesday nights? Is it your work life? Is it your school life? Is it your night life? Where do you need to apply the therefore of Romans 12.1? Where do you need to live increasingly in view of the mercy of God? What part of your life do you need the mercy of God to transform? Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says, holy and acceptable to God. I agree with Dr. Brian Chapel that I think this phrase, holy and acceptable, is often misread by the church today. We read into this verse, present your bodies as a living sacrifice so that you may be holy and acceptable to God. You know, God has always had a high requirement for that which is sacrificed to him, if you read throughout the Old Testament. For example, Deuteronomy 17, we read, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect, for that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. And so how can we be holy? How can we be acceptable? 
How can we, we, we be without blemish or defect before God? How can we be a pleasing sacrifice to God? Well, the answer is Jesus. Our bodies are not wholly and acceptable to God because of our righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness given to us. Our sins are washed away by the blood of our Savior, and we are made as white as snow, pure, without blemish, holy, now an acceptable sacrifice to God. And so I would suggest that we read Romans 12, 1 this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, pre- to present your bodies as a living sacrifice because, not so that, but because you have been made holy and acceptable to God. You've been made fit by Jesus to be a sacrifice to your God. I think Paul's saying, by the mercies of God and the blood of Jesus, you have been made holy and acceptable to God. Therefore, now present yourself according to who you are. Be who you are. Be holy because you are holy. Live acceptably before God because you have been accepted by God. Be you. Be who you are in Jesus. In Norway, there is a woman named Nano. She's probably in her mid-twenties, and Nano believes herself to be a cat. She says she has a superior sense of smell. Uh, She can see in the dark, and she speaks in cat language, meow, meow. And she hates water, and she hisses at dogs. And she says in one of the articles, she says, my psychologist told me I can grow out of it, but I doubt it, she concluded. I think I will be cat all my life. And then there was another article written on Nano, and I love the heading of it. This is what it says. This is the title. Story of woman who says she's a cat, and then here's my favorite part, doesn't really check out. Oh, really? Okay, it doesn't really check out. And they give lots of reasons why it doesn't check out that this woman is actually not a cat. But the number one reason they give why she is not a cat is because she's giving an interview, right? Like, cats don't give interviews. Cats run away, okay? All right, I won't talk about cats anymore. But, but, but she's not a cat. And so what the psychologist is saying, what the reporter is saying, you're not a cat, Be a person. Be who God made you to be. You're made to be human. So be a person. Act like a person, not like a cat. In the same way here, what we are told is that if you are in Christ, you are no longer a sinner before God. Pastor Jonathan spoke about this earlier. You are not a sinner. That is not your identity before a holy God. That is not who you are. You are not a sinner. You are a saint. That's what they call Christians in the New Testament. Saints. And do you know what this word saint means? Holy. You are holy. You are acceptable before God because of Christ. Now be who you are and may that be your offering to our gracious and glorious God. And Paul says this is your spiritual worship. Paul is not diminishing corporate worship like what we're doing right now where we gather together. This is commanded in Scripture It's an important thing. He's not diminishing your your personal devotional times in the morning. Those are also valuable times of worship to God. But what Paul is doing is he is elevating and reminding us that those are not the only times we worship, that we worship every second of every day, and our worship should be directed towards God. There is no secular parts of your life. Everything, 
Everything is an act of worship to someone or something. And Paul is saying, let it be an act of worship to our God. This is, includes, but is not limited to changing diapers, making dinner, chopping wood, driving to church. All of life is an offering to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul puts it this way. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so throughout our days, we should have that old hymn playing in our heart. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And so, Pastor Jonathan, church, God has been merciful to you. He has made you holy and acceptable by the blood of his son, Jesus. Therefore, unceasingly, in your ministry and in all areas of your life, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, for this is the worship God desires. Now, with that holistic picture of worship, Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in view of God's mercy, not only should we unceasingly sacrifice ourselves to God, offer ourselves to God as worship, but we should also continually be transformed by God. Looking at verse 2, Paul starts by saying, Do not be conformed to this world. The world has a way of seeing the world that is contrary to God. The world has a set of values and priorities. It proclaims a gospel of comfort and self-indulgence. It acts as if life is trivial, heaven is universal, and joy is situational. These are false beliefs, and they are powerful beliefs. It is easy to be conform to be influenced by the world's value systems. And so we must actively seek, Paul says, to be nonconformist. Not in a hatred of the world, but out of a love for God and a love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. To love the world, but to not conform to the world. Now, how do we keep from being conformed to the world when, when we're constantly being barraged with all of these, these views and these, these false truths? Well, Paul does not say we, we, we stop, we, we resist conformity by taking ourselves out of the world, by becoming monks or, or whatever it might be. Verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. Paul says the secret to resisting outward conformity to the world is inward transformation by the renewal of our minds. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho. Uh, I didn't look this up, but I'm guessing it's connected to the word metamorphosis. Such as a caterpillar undergoes a metamorphosis when it becomes a butterfly or a tadpole becomes a frog. Our minds are in the process of metamorphosis. They are constantly being transformed into something glorious as we behold the glory of God and His Word 
in our hearts and in our minds. It is a massive transformation. In fact, this word is sometimes translated transfigured. It's only used four times in the New Testament. Once right here in Romans 12, twice in the Gospels to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus when he becomes brilliant and white and glorious as he really is. And the fourth time in 2 Corinthians 3, and I think it's helpful for us. There Paul says, but when one turns to the Lord, all who turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all who trust in Christ with unveiled faces, beholding, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same thing, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so how do we become anti-conformist to the views of the world while loving the world? It's by being transformed and the renewing of our minds. And how do we renew our minds? By beholding our great God. We behold him in prayer. We behold him in singing. We behold him in fellowship. We behold him in his sacraments. We behold him in his word. We behold our God. And our minds are transformed and renewed. Paul continues. says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A popular illustration that maybe you've heard before is that when someone is training to, to detect counterfeit money, counterfeit cash, the way they do this is simply by handling the real thing, okay? Real money. And so they, they handle it, and they touch it, and they see it, and they smell it, and they know what real money is like. And because of this, they can identify a counterfeit because they know what the genuine article is like. In fact, I've talked to a person recently can't remember who it is, but they used to work at a mall. Do you guys remember what malls are? Anyways, they, they used to work at a mall, and they used to sell CDs. Uh, again, if you don't know what those are, that's okay. But, but they used to sell CDs, and one time, someone came into the store and picked up all these CDs and dropped all these $20 bills on their desk. And they picked it up, and they knew immediately that they were counterfeit because there was no texture to the vest of the president that's on the $20 bill. You can go test it out later. I know you want to now, but there's texture on the vest. You can rub your thumbnail, and you'll see that there are lines that you can feel. And there were no lines there. And because he had handled the real deal so often, he knew that that was counterfeit. This illustration has been abused many times to say we need to recluse ourselves from the world. We need to flee from the world. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says that we study, we dwell, we behold the genuine article so that we can test what we hear, so that we can test what we read. Far from disengaging from the world, God is calling us to engage our world with a renewed mind to engage the philosophies of this world, to discern what is true, to test them with what we know to be true, and to know what is right and acceptable before God and to reject that which is not. And so we must be continually transformed. Our actions, our motivations, our passions, our understanding of truth must be transformed. And this happens by the renewal of our mind, and our mind is renewed by beholding our God in all the ways that he has given to us. Let me end with this. Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearl, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me rephrase these stories, which is always dangerous to do with the stories of Jesus, but let me rephrase these stories in the context of therefore, okay? A man found a treasure in a field. Therefore, he joyfully sold all that he had to buy the field, okay? A man found one pearl of great value. Therefore, he sold all that he had to buy that pearl. Friends, the actions only make sense if what becomes before the therefore is true. If there is no treasure in the field, it makes no sense that this man would joyfully sell all that he has to go buy the field. If this pearl is not of great value, it makes no sense that this man would sell everything he has to go buy this pearl. But if those things are true, if the treasure is there, if the pearl is of great price, then it makes complete sense that he would sell all that he has to claim it as his own. Why do I bring this up? According to this world, we should eat, drink, and be happy. Not for the glory of God, but because we die and this is all that we have. And with this cultural backdrop, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God makes no sense at all unless the gospel is true. To be transformed makes no sense unless the gospel is true. One of the greatest uh, privileges I had as a pastor uh, was a few weeks ago, I got to go over to Pastor Jonathan and Tara's house and celebrate with them uh, their son Clay's birthday. Uh, for those of you who don't know, their son Clay passed away a few years ago at three years of age, and uh, it was one of the best days of my life to come be with you, honestly. And uh, we went over there, I went over there, and we got to watch videos of Clay. Uh, Clay was three years old again when he passed, and He's just the cutest kid in the world. You, you look at him bouncing around so full of joy and life and excitement, and, and you just want to give him a hug and put him in your pocket and take him home with you. Just absolutely adorable. Jonathan and Tara, with all due respect, your life makes no sense. God took your sweet little boy Clay home, and yet you say, up here this morning, God is good. God took your sweet little boy, Clay, home. And yet, you love to sing God's praises. God took your sweet little boy, Clay, home. And yet, after his passing, your very next child, you name Hope. Jonathan and Terry, your life makes no sense at all unless the gospel is true, unless Romans 1 through 11 is true, unless the mercy of God is true in Christ, it makes no sense at all. My hope and prayer for your ministry, for my ministry, for all of our lives, is that our lives would make no sense at all unless the gospel is true. Let's pray. Lord, let us live therefore lives in light of the mercy and the grace and your love that you have shown to us in Jesus. 
Let us live all of life because of that. Help us, God, to surrender more of our lives, to be more of an offering to you in everything we do. May this be our act of worship to you. And God, may we, may we present ourselves to be molded by you, to be transformed by you. Because you are a great God. And because the gospel of your great love for us in this life and the life to come is true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the commandments.